Hello, friends. This is Cliff Knight from Equippers International. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We want to lift up Jesus and provide a place for you to learn more about Him and to grow in your relationship with Him. If you find the podcast helpful, feel free to share it with others. We believe it will be a source of blessing and encouragement, and you will be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. back to another episode of the Quippers International Podcast. We're working our way through the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 4. Today we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. I'll read those verses, then we'll get started. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. So you'll remember in the previous couple of episodes, we're starting to really dig deeper into Paul's understanding of the role of faith in the gospel. And we talked about how this principle or the law of faith eliminates boasting. It eliminates anybody's right, specifically the Jews that perhaps had the attitude that they could somehow boast in some special favor or some special position or even their ability through the works of the law to be justified before God. And Paul, makes it very clear that no, this is not the case. And so he starts out in chapter 4 highlighting that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness because of the faith that he had. And so he talks about the importance of faith that's credited as righteousness. And then he makes this quote from David in the Psalms about how blessed is the man whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And then he puts it in context specifically of the condition in which Abraham was when he responded to God in faith and God declared him righteous. So Paul asked this question, how or when or in what condition was Abraham when he was declared righteous by God? And the question is, was it while he was circumcised or while he was uncircumcised? Now, throughout the book of Romans, there's going to be places where we kind of have to really slow down and take our time and unpack some things in order to put them in proper context because we want to build properly on what Paul's teaching in this book. And some of the things that he comes up with are really quite deep and very significant. And this is one of those paragraphs. We looked at things in detail in chapter 3, and then today we're going to look specifically in this paragraph because I want to put some things in context. It may seem like I'm going quite deep in this episode. It is going to be a longer episode, so just prepare yourself for that. But I want to go into detail about what Paul's talking about with all these references to circumcision and uncircumcision, specifically as it relates to Abraham's experience with God, because Abraham is very, very important in Paul's teaching, not only in the book of Romans, but also in other places of the New Testament, so that we can understand God's dealing 
with humanity as it relates to the gospel. Okay, so what I want to do in this episode is go back into the book of Genesis, and I want to look at Abraham's experiences with God there in the book of Genesis and just kind of give an overview and move through some of this in detail to understand exactly what Paul's talking about. And we'll come back to Romans 4 and make the application. So Genesis chapter 12 is the first recorded encounter that Abram, before God changes his name to Abraham, we'll see that later in Genesis, but I'll refer to him by his proper name as we move along. Abram has his first encounter with God. Abram was a descendant of Shem. We see that at the end of chapter 11 in Genesis, and it outlines his genealogy. And it says that he was living in the Ur of the Chaldeans with his father and his other family members, specifically named are Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew. And this is where God finds Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And the chapter kind of starts quite abruptly. It just says, now the Lord said to Abram. So God sovereignly just decided to speak to Abram. He was living literally out in the wilderness. He was unknown to anybody. He has no background in scripture otherwise. And in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abram and he tells him two things. He tells him to leave your country and go to a land that I will show you in the first verse of Genesis chapter 12. And then in verses 2 and 3, he tells him that I will make you a great nation so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So immediately, Abram sets out with his family, and in Genesis 12, 6, we see that he passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem and the oak of Moray, where the Canaanites were living. Now, at this point in Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "'To your descendants I will give this land.'" And God had just told Abram in chapter 12, verse 1, to leave his country and go to a land that I will show you. And lo and behold, in chapter 12, verse 7, he shows him the land. And he says, this is the land that I said that I was going to give your descendants. So God does exactly what he just told Abram he was going to do. He was going to go to a land that he would show him. And he shows him the land. And it's important, I just want to throw this comment in, it's not at this stage that God declares Abram righteous. We're going to see that in the coming chapters. But now let's move to Genesis chapter 15. This is Abram's second encounter with the Lord. And God tells Abram, first in Genesis 15, verse 1, not to fear that he is a shield to him and his reward will be very great. And at this stage in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abram, he's 85 years old, that a son will come from his own body to be his heir. And then in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, God took him outside and told him to look at the stars and to count them if he could. And then God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. Now, just a side note, it's important to note because Paul's going to take this up in the New Testament, and it's very, very, very critical to the understanding of the gospel. This word descendants literally is translated seed, and every time that it appears, it is in the singular form. Now, I know that your English Bibles always say descendants. My English Bible says that. 
I mean, there's obvious implications of why it's translated descendants, is seed, meaning those that will come after him in his generations that will follow. They are obviously many people. But Paul's going to take this notion up in Galatians chapter 3. He's going to talk about the seed that came from Abraham and that seed being Christ. But we're going to look at that probably later in episodes to come. But this will be a very important truth in the New Testament in understanding Abraham's experience. So I just wanted to point that out, that he literally says to Abram, your seed is going to be numerous like the stars of the sky. So now the most critical verse in Genesis 15, verse 6, it says that Abram then believed the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. There's our pivotal verse. This is when God declares Abram righteous. When he believed God and when God told him that he would give him a son and that his descendants, his seed, would be great. That's when Abram believed God, and that's when God declared him as righteous. So you kind of want to put a flag there. And remember, this is where Abram was declared righteous. Then God promises the land again to Abram when Abram asked the Lord how he will know that the Lord will give him the land. Then the Lord instructs Abram to bring all the animals to prepare them for a sacrifice and for the covenant that he's going to make with Abram. And interesting in chapter 15, when he prepares all these things for God to make a covenant according to the custom that two people would go through, they would cut the animals in half and they would walk between them as a covenant between two parties. Well, God causes a deep sleep to fall on Abram. Abram does not come into covenant on his side side with God. God makes a covenant with Abram. And in Genesis 15, verse 18, that's exactly what it says. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. At this stage, this is what I'm going to call the land covenant. It is God's promise to give to Abram's descendants a specific land that he says he's going to give them as a covenant. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 17. We're just moving through these experiences with Abram so we can get the full understanding of what God promised Abram and how it fits into the timeline and Paul's understanding of the gospel. Now, in Genesis 17, we see that Abram has one more significant encounter with God where God affirms again the covenant that he's made with Abram, and here he changes his name to Abraham. So the covenant, as it was stated in Genesis 15, was to make Abraham a father of many nations. And I want to read in Genesis 17, verses 3 through 8. It says, Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. 
Verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Here we see expressed specifically two covenants. One, the everlasting covenant to make Abraham a great nation, a multitude of nations, the father of many nations. And he also promises to give to his descendants the land of his sojournings, the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. So God establishes his covenant between him and Abraham and his descendants, and he promises to give them their land. Now, I want to make some comments on an interpretive level in regards to the word everlasting in Hebrew. It is the word olam, and it appears over 400 times in the Old Testament. Now, literally, the Hebrew word olam means in the far distance. It illustrates the idea of looking off into a far distant place where it's difficult to make out any details of what's beyond the horizon. So it's used to speak about events that were in the distant past and events that are in the distant future. Now, in ancient Hebrew, there is really no word that means eternity or everlasting or forever. Now, you'd have to be forced in context as a translator of the scriptures to interpret what it is the writers are trying to communicate. Most scholars would say that this word, when it's referring to an everlasting God, the God himself who is eternal, then the word applied to him would mean in regards to his eternal attributes. And in that way, it would mean that God's loving kindness is everlasting or his mercy is everlasting and so forth and so on. But in regards to as it applies to people, as it applies to things God says about circumstances and situations that people will be in, it does not necessarily mean everlasting. A better meaning is a very long duration for antiquity until the end of a specific period of time that's unknown in the natural physical realm, but only God knows in his eternal perspective. So it's used several times and in different forms throughout the Old Testament. For example, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 23, Jonathan speaking about his relationship with David, and he says, as for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Same word, olam, you and me forever. Well, we know that God was not between Jonathan and David forever. They were temporal beings and they died and their relationship ultimately ended several years later. But it's a strong way of saying for a very long period of time, maybe for the remainder of a person's life. In other examples, it's used about the duration of an age or a long period of time that goes far beyond one generation or two generations. So it's a very critical word in understanding the covenants that God made with Abraham. Now, just wanted to point out those observations about this word because it takes on a significant meaning when you're going to begin to interpret the covenants that God made with Abraham regarding him being a great nation and regarding the possession of the land. 
Let's move on to Genesis chapter 22. This is the last encounter between Abraham and God related to the promises given to Abraham by God. So after Abraham was willing to offer the sacrifice of Isaac, God says to him in verse 15, The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." So God speaks to Abraham after he's willing to sacrifice the very son of promise, Isaac, and then he reaffirms his promise to him that he would make him a great nation, that he would multiply his seed. I pointed out earlier about this word descendants, that the actual word is seed. It's interesting to see that in my translation and probably many other English translations in this passage, it is translated as seed and not as descendants. So you see how interpretation and translation can make a big difference in how we read a passage and how we understand it. So here God is affirming that it's through Abraham and his seed, singular, that he's going to multiply and make them a great nation. So as we've looked at Abraham's experiences with God and as God spoke to Abraham on these different occasions and he verbalized covenant, he verbalized promise, let's make some general comments about covenants. These covenants that God made with Abraham do not pertain to the covenant he made with Israel at Mount Sinai with Moses. That's a different topic altogether. And Paul puts this in context in Galatians chapter 3 when he tells us that the law that came 430 years after the promise given to Abraham does not nullify the promise. So it's important that we keep the timeline intact and we understand when God dealt with people in history. God's dealing with the children of Israel 430 years after his encounters with Abraham is when he gave the law. And the law, which was going to serve during a time period in the nation of Israel until God made a new covenant with them and he changed the condition of the covenant with the law. Now, we're going to look at that in much more detail as we move through the book of Romans. But I just want to set some of these things in place early on so you'll be prepared when we get there. But these concepts and these truths are super important in Paul's understanding of the gospel and what he's doing here in the book of Romans. So now, let's go back to Romans chapter 4. The main point that Paul's making is that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness while he was uncircumcised. If we go back into the timeline of all of Abraham's dealings with God, here's some very important things that we notice. First, God declared Abraham righteous when he believed God that he would give him his own son and make his descendants greater than the stars of the sky. It was 15 years after 
Abraham believed God by faith and God declared him as righteous, that God gave him the covenant of circumcision as a sign of the promises that he had made to Abraham. So 15 years after Abram was declared righteous, he was then given the covenant of circumcision. And according to Genesis 17, 10, God said, This is my covenant which you shall keep, the covenant of circumcision. Circumcision was a conditional covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants. Because in Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, God says that anyone who remains circumcised and does not obey this covenant, he shall be cut off from the people and he has broken my covenant. So in the covenant of circumcision, God allows it to be a bilateral covenant. He allows the human component. He allows man's decision to control whether the covenant remains in effect or not. So any Jew who does not become circumcised is cut off from the people because he's broken the covenant that God gave him. So let's look at a couple more concluding statements. When speaking about Abraham, Paul in the New Testament never alludes to the land covenant that God made with Abraham. We're going to look at the land covenant, probably more details. We get deeper into the book of Romans, but I don't want to get distracted with that now. I want to stay on focus on what Paul's communicating here in Romans chapter 4. But Paul instead always references God's promise made to Abraham to be the father of many nations and Abraham's faith response, which resulted in righteousness. The last statement I want to make, Paul always makes it clear that Abraham's faith is the only important thing and that circumcision nor uncircumcision in the flesh means anything. All that matters is faith. Because of all this, Paul is making it clear in Romans chapter 4, in our paragraph for this episode, that Abraham is the father of everyone who believes. Anyone who is not circumcised and believes, meaning Gentiles who believe and have the faith of Abraham, he is their father. And he is also the father of those who are circumcised, that is, the Jews, And if they follow in the steps of the faith of Abraham, he's also their father. So he's not just the father of the Jews by genealogy. That has nothing to do with the gospel, Paul says. It's only if the circumcised, that is the Jews, will follow in the steps of the faith of their father Abraham, that will lead to them being declared righteous. Because it's not the circumcision that holds the Jews in right standing with God. Because Abraham did not come to righteousness with God while he was circumcised. That happened while he was uncircumcised. Do you remember 15 years prior to the covenant of circumcision? So Paul is putting his argument completely outside of the context of the Jews. Anything related to circumcision and definitely anything related to the law, which came 430 years later. So it's important to see where Paul puts Abraham in his experience of faith, because in that place, Abraham is the father of all who have faith, the Jew and the Gentile. 
So I wanted to go through this with you in this episode. I trust that it's been profitable. Maybe you want to get your Bible and sit down and re-listen to it and have time to study through these verses. But I think it would be very good if you would study through Genesis 12 through 17 and look and make notes and notice how God interacts with Abraham and the timeline of those interactions because it has significant implications for understanding how Paul and the rest of the New Testament interpret Abraham's experience and ultimately how we understand the gospel. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more. 